I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. God, I want to thank you for your grace. Thank you for, thank you for a younger generation that is pouring their life into the kingdom. Uh, thank you that you are calling people to yourself. Thank you that you are making a difference in the world with, <laughs> go figure, us. Lord, I, I, I want to continue to knock and seek and ask that you would just pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit on this church. Pour out your spirit on the churches across the world. That we would focus on kingdom stuff. That we would focus on things that, that make a difference in the eternal scheme of your will and your desire. Lord, as we come through these doors this morning, we all come in a different mood and a different place. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would meet each person here right where they are. That you would minister to hearts and souls this morning. Lord, I ask you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so we've been working through Colossians, and we're up to chapter 1. Uh, and we started, we started looking at this hymn that Paul writes. And what he's doing, he's explaining, he's kind of explaining, he's kind of laying out the theology of who Jesus is. Now, scholars kind of ebb and flow. They're not really sure if Paul wrote the whole thing originally, if he borrowed it, if it was a hymn that was being sung in the early churches, if he took it and he kind of adapted it to what he wanted. But whatever the reason, Paul has used this to explain to us this character, this person of Jesus Christ. To kind of just lay it all out there and make sure that we have a full understanding of who that is. Now, we got through half of verse 15 last week because it's a very weighty half. And that verse is, the Son is the image of the invisible God. So what Paul is kind of telling us, here, it's really strange to have this section just kind of hollowed out here. I can't get used to it. I can get closer. And if I spit, I'm really sorry, but I get excited sometimes. Now I'm standing back here. Anyway, so, so the, the sun is the image of the invisible God. That means if you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know uh, the heart and the passion of God, if you want to know what upsets God, what, what can call down his wrath, if you want to know what pushes God's buttons... If he has buttons to be pushed, then you have to look to the person of Jesus Christ. You have to look to what the Gospels tell us about his story. And I would even say more so that, that we, have to, we have to study those Gospels. We have to put ourselves in there, in, into the story. We have to read it. Uh, we have to read it. We have to read it reflectively, slowly. Carefully. See, too often we as Christians, we know that we're supposed to read our Bible and we do read our Bible. And we blow through as much as we can possibly get through and feel good. Stamp. Ta-da. 
But I'm encouraging you, if you want to know the nature and the character of God, you have to understand the person of Jesus Christ. And to understand the person of Jesus Christ, you have to be in the Gospels, slowly, patiently, reflectively, putting yourself in that story as God reveals himself through his Son. And now last week, we looked at kind of three simple, basic truths, right? We looked at uh, the power of, the, the unbelievable power that Jesus Christ had. And we looked at his mercy. And he, we looked at compassion. And we looked at stories in the Gospels that reflect who God is through Christ. All powerful. He tells the wind, be quiet. And the wind is quiet. He tells the demon, shut up. Come out of him. Guess what? The demon's like, wah! And it comes out of him. The, not me, him. The, the person, the other person. He has compassion. He sees, the, he sees the widow with her son. And he's just like, ugh. And he says, young man, get up. And then the woman caught in adultery, he tells her, I don't condemn you. Just stop it. The mercy and the compassion and the strength of Jesus. Those things, are, those things feel good to us. We enjoy, the, we enjoy reading about our God in those terms. They invite us in. We like to rest in those. We desperately desire, especially mercy and compassion, because sometimes in this world it seems like those things are just too far and few between. But you see, if you look at the Gospels, there are other things in the Gospel about Christ that we just, we don't like to, we don't like to kind of focus on those things. Those things kind of make us a little nervous. Those things make us just a little bit worried about Jesus. Jesus was one for rebuking his disciples. Now rebuking, to, to rebuke is to correct very firmly. Hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not rebuke. Stop it. Rebuke. You get what I'm saying? At one point, Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Get behind me, Satan. If Jesus calls you Satan, things are not going well with you. All right? And, and, so, and so there's this rebuke. And it's not because he's angry. It's not because Jesus is trying to be mean. It's not because he's trying to cut Peter down. He's actually trying to build him up. Jesus wants him to know, Peter, you, you are just wandering in the wrong direction here. And he rebukes him because Peter is trying to get his own agenda through, his own arrogant agenda, because Peter actually thinks that he knows better than God. Rebuke is not Anger. Rebuke is love, tough love with authority. Remember that time, that story? Jesus goes into the temple. They're, they're selling stuff, maybe t shirts. They got some birds and animals going on, right? Coffee cup. Good thing we give our coffee cups away, huh? That would just be like, I hate Jesus coming here going, dead of robbers. And I'd be like, yo, Jay, those are good coffee cups. What are you doing? I digress. So, so anyway, so, so he. He goes in and he sees all of this stuff taking place. And he makes a, he makes a whip. And he ticks, tips tables. And he kicks people out. He is the, the passion for the house of the Lord. He says, my father's house will be a house of prayer. And you have made it into a den of robbers. Well, see, rebuke is from a place of actually love. But it's rebuke all the same. And that could be painful. 
If you read the Proverbs, it talks about how the wise person accepts rebuke. Proverbs 25, it says, just as a a gold earring or a golden ornament, so is the rebuke of a wise judge to those who have ears to hear. But we don't like the whole rebuke, Jesus. We like the love, Jesus, the peace sign, Jesus, the compassion, Jesus. That's why it is so important for us to be in the Gospels and understand the character and the nature of God through His Son because it's essential for our spiritual transformation. It's essential for our sanctification to know and have the power of the Holy Spirit reveal to us who God is through Jesus. And so we're actually going to get through the rest of verse 15 today. And, you ready? 16. I know. Be still, your poor hearts. We put the... The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, now that line, the firstborn over all creation, it's not what it sounds like. If we just kind of read that, if you kind of glance over it, it could sound like that Jesus is created. That somehow Jesus is part of the creative process that he was born. Maybe that, that you know, God was kind of hanging around and he needed an extra person to round out the whole trio thing. And so he decides to create somebody else and voila, we have Jesus. But here is the truth and we're going to see, Paul's going to write this in verse 17, which we'll get to, I promise, next week. But Christ is pre-existence. That means he has always been And he will always be. He was not created in any way, shape, or form. He has existed from, not even the beginning, because there was never a beginning for him. He has always been. The term firstborn has nothing to do with being born. In fact, it's used many times throughout the scripture. Uh, Exodus 4, God calls Israel, the nation of Israel, my firstborn. And the meaning that it has there, it has this, this context of being the priority, first in line. And then in Psalm 89, it says this, And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of all the kings on the earth. This has a very messianic tone to it. This is pointing to Messiah. And we'll see this a few other times in the Psalms, this idea of firstborn. And what it's saying, what it's alluding to is is authority. Not only just authority, but supreme, ultimate, all-encompassing authority. Authority over all things. Now, in, in early Christendom, there were conversations actually about was Jesus born? I mean, he was born. He was born to get here. He was born of a virgin. But but the existence of Christ was he born? Was he created? And in part, it's because of this verse because they wrestled over it. But the the early church fathers, as they scoured the scriptures, as they looked at it, they came to they drew the correct conclusion that no, Jesus was not born. He has existed forever with God in perfect harmony with Him and the holy spirit john chapter one in the beginning was the word and the word was god and the word was with god and the word was god over and over we see this in the scriptures in fact that's why the nicene creed says says uh, what's it say it says begotten not made one in being with the father 
This is the doctrine that they wanted us to proclaim and understand of who Christ is. And what Paul is saying is he has supreme authority over all of creation. Existed before it all and is supreme over all of it. Everything, all of creation comes under the authority of Christ. Period. And then he's going to flesh out this idea a little bit. He's going to put some, he's going to put some meat on the bones. You go to the next slide. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I want you to read this again with me. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is another huge sweeping theology that we as the church have to understand. We have to get our mind around this. The creative work of God is 100% Jesus Christ. In him, through him, and for him. Things in heaven, things on earth. Things invisible, things that we could see. All created in him. Through him, for him. Let's kind of let's kind of put some legs to this. Look around for a second. Go ahead, just look around. Don't be awkward. You can make eye contact. Everything you see, when you leave here today, you're going to go and do things. You're going to experience things. Look around. Look at all of the stuff that you see. You might eat lunch today, and you're going to smell your lunch. Hopefully it smells good. You're going to breathe air. You can't see it, but it goes in, and, and, and carbon dioxide yeah, comes out. I didn't do good in biology. The people that you see, the trees that you see, the snow that you see, everything has been created in him. For him and through him, everything in all of creation has been created in him, through him, and for him. And maybe you're thinking, okay, Dennis, so what you're trying to say is everything? Yes, I'm trying to tell you everything. Now, let me, let me kind of give you an example of kind of the way this looks in, in modern 2013. Let's take something like, say, Harley Davidson. All right. All right, you're right. That's a dumb one. We all know, obviously, Jesus created the Harley Davidson. Let's think of, let's, um, let's think of, uh, let's go with a car, okay? Now, you're saying, wait, a car? Jesus never drove a car. It's not organic. All right, stay with me. Ready? We, people, have been created in the image of Christ, the triune God. Read Genesis, the beginning of Genesis. We have been created in the image of God. And part of that creation, we, he gives us toenails, which I don't know what purpose they serve. 
uh, he, he, is, he, is, he has weaved us together. We've got guts that work well, and we've got fingers and hands and, and opposable thumbs, and that's really cool. It separates us from a lot of other critters in the world. And he creates this thing in our head. It's called the brain. And in this brain, all these things are snapping and firing, and it causes us to speak, and it causes us to think, and it causes us to conceptualize. Jesus creates this thing. And in this thing, he creates something called our intellect. And over the years, this intellect has evolved into higher stages. Now, I'm not talking about like monkey to human evolution. I'm talking about within our own species, our intellect has grown and we have become more intellectual and we have figured things out. And we have invented things and created things. And so as our intellect progressive progresses, this thing that Jesus has created in us, as it progresses, we have figured out this thing called a, a combustion engine. We figured out the fuel that put in this engine to make it run. And then we, then we invented this thing called the wheel. And we said, oh, if we put some rubber stuff around it, now it's a tire and we can, and we can make it roll. And we created systems for cooling things down and we created systems for things to stop. How do we do that? It's because of the intellect that Christ has created. And so at one point in history, we took all of these things, we put it together and went, ta-da, we've made a car. All things have been created in him and through him and for him. Christ is the, the sphere, the realm of everything that has been created. And it's all moving toward him. He's the goal of all creation. We have to begin to understand this. And this is why, this is why I believe, I believe 100%, and, and you've heard me talk about this before, that, that we, we have this funky uh, separation between sacred and we all call the other one secular. So for the Christian over here, we have sacred things. We have whatever we want to consider sacred. We have it's nice and it's, it looks pretty and it's holy. And, and we can go, oh, and it would feel sacred, right? But over here, this is, this is the secular stuff. This is the stuff that's, that's not sacred. Now, you've heard me say this before. Just because something has the label of Christian across it doesn't mean it's Christian. Doesn't mean that it's good and holy and Christ-centered and sacred. And just because something doesn't carry that label of Christian doesn't mean it's not holy or sacred or Christ-centered. And we have to get rid of that hashtag of sacred and secular because all things have been created in him and through him and for him. Are you following me with that? All things. Now, maybe you're thinking because you're kind of a thinking group. Well, what about the broken stuff? What about the bad stuff? It's a great question. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus doesn't make bad or broken stuff. Sin has come into the world and has broken things and ruined things. And sin, that's on us. That's not on Christ. The way he has created things, it's holy, good, sacred. And we have taken it and ruined it. Let me give you some examples. Jesus created, creates sex. And he creates it to be sacred. And holy, something beautiful. And it's to be experienced between a man and a woman. 
in the context of marriage. And I know that's not popular in our culture right now, but I'm not trying to be popular. I'm telling you the word of God. I'm telling you what's biblical. And that's the way that God or Jesus creates it. And then we are the ones that have taken the sacred and the holy out of it. We are the ones that have perverted it. Another big one for Christians is, is wine. Jesus creates wine. And it's good. And it's sacred. And it's used for celebrations. Read the scripture. Read his first miracle. They ran out. Jesus is like, I got this. And we're talking good stuff. They're like, wow, this is good stuff. But we, in our sinful nature, have taken it and we've abused it. And that, in that abuse, it's caused addiction. And in that addiction, it's ruined and shattered lives. It's not the way Jesus intended it to be. You see... You cannot show me in the Bible where it says you have to abstain from all alcohol all the time. What the Bible talks about is drunkenness. Do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be controlled by wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Talks about drunkenness. Big one for Christians too is 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 music. We say we have our Christian music. Music can't be Christian. It doesn't make a decision to follow Christ. And then we have our secular music. And we say that, that, that the sacred Christian music, that's the ones that, that's it. It, it sings about God and it and, you know, sings about Jesus. We, we sang Christian music today. But the secular music, no, that's, that can't be sacred because it doesn't sing about God and it doesn't, it doesn't glorify God because we don't use God in it. I say, no. He created music to be something that's sacred and holy and good. And then what happens? Sin comes into that music. And what happens to it? We get things like Justin Bieber. And, and, and one direction. I mean, come on. If we can see the brokenness of the universe, if we can't see it there, I don't know where you can, can see it. But just because it doesn't sing about God does not mean it's any less sacred or holy. I'm, I'm going to maybe show my age or my geekiness here. I was listening to uh, some of my you know, classic music on my iPod. And no, Chris Tomlin doesn't mean classic for me. Um, and I was listening. Actually, I first started, I was listening to um, Graceland by Paul Simon. Okay, amazing. And then I was like, oh, you know, Simon and Garfunkel would be pretty cool. And so I got to the song, um, Bridge Over Troubled Water. If that song is not the heart of Christ, man, I don't know what is. And you know, I don't know where they were spiritually. I don't know what they were thinking spiritually when they wrote that song. But the words and the melody... And the harmony, that is what I mean by something that's, that, that, that's, that's labeled secular, but it's still sacred and holy. We have to get rid of this separation of, in our minds. We can see Jesus in all things if we look beyond the brokenness. 
We can see Jesus in so many other things than just church stuff labeled with Christian. Because all things have been created in him and through him and for him. Things on earth, things that we can see, and things in heaven, and things that are invisible. See, Paul's going to leave no stone unturned, and he's going to talk about this realm that, with our own eyes that we can't see, there's a spiritual realm that we can't fully understand. And the spiritual realm is engaged in our human experience It is alive and well and active and there's things buzzing around us right now. And I don't want to freak anybody out, but but there is a spiritual realm that exists in this room, in your home, in your workplace. And what he's talking about here, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, he's talking about this. These are in the spiritual contexts. Maybe we could say that there's there's the angels and there's demons Those are realities. And Paul wants us to understand that even those things, angels, demons, the spiritual realm, the thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities, those things have been created by Christ. They just didn't happen. They just didn't. God is going to go, oops. How did that happen? It's all been created in him, through him, and for him. And, you know, if we talk about angels and we talk about demons, sometimes, sometimes we, we fall into two really dangerous camps, I believe. Sometimes we over-spiritualize everything. And, and, and so, you know, hey, I walked into Stop and Shop, and, you know, my, my guardian angel must have went before me because I needed bananas, and bananas are on sale. <sighs> I had a woman once tell me, um, love this woman dearly, uh, this is years ago, and she was going to a prayer, a night of prayer, and uh, a prayer meeting, and she said, I, I fell asleep at my computer. I was sitting there at my computer, and I, and I woke up, and my head was on the computer, and, I, and, you know, the enemy, the enemy made me fall asleep and didn't want me to be at that prayer meeting. And I said, oh, but, but what if you were just really tired? I mean, so, so we just over-spiritualize everything sometimes. And the other danger is we just don't pay any attention to that at all. And, and we fail to realize that that is a serious, powerful entity that's taking place around us. The angelic and the demonic. The demons want a piece of you. They want to, if they can't have you for eternity, they're going to make you miserable here and pull you from the purposes that Christ would have for you. And you should take that seriously, but not get all caught up and be worried about it because they too obey Christ. The angels obey Christ. The demonic obeys Christ. And so let me tell you something, Christian. In heaven and on earth, things that you cannot see and things that you can see, they hold no terror for us because they are all in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. And there's something else that's going on in this statement that Paul wants us to understand. The Colossians, you'll see in chapter 2 if you read ahead, the Colossians, there's, there's this theology, this practice of worshiping angels. 
that have come in. And so they're begun to worship the created. And he wants to address the idea of, of worshiping the created and not the creator. And he says, no, that's, see, see, that's not just the way it plays out. And so all of these different kinds of philosophies are actually, and that's the one he mentions, but if you read the, the historical context of this letter, there's, there's a mishmash of different philosophies and spiritual, spiritualities that have begun to take root in the heart of the Christian church here in Colossae. And Paul wants to address it. See, what's happening, all these things are coming in, and it's creating something other than Christ and Christ alone. But you know, it's, it's, it's really not much different for us here in our world. I mean, it's, it was happening then, and it still happens today. Just because something is labeled spiritual doesn't mean... It's Christ-centered, good, healthy spirituality. Everybody is spiritual today. Everybody thinks that they're spiritual. And we have people that move throughout churches, that are in churches. And, you know, they, they kind of they agree with Jesus. And they read the Bible a little bit. And, and they, they kind of they attach themselves to the easy things, the things that fit very nicely into their own lifestyle. But the difficult, hard things, they just kind of, they kind of ignore those and they kind of put those away because they don't quite fit well with, with the way they want to live their life. And then so, so maybe they go through and they have all of these other spiritual things that they can just draw from. And they start adding it to their, and, and I use this term loosely, but they add it to their Christianity. We have all of this spiritual stuff out there. We call it new age now, right? There's nothing new about it. It's been around for a very long, long, long time. I think the newest one for us is the spirituality of self-help. There's so many books out there on how you can just help yourself get it done. Help yourself do this. Help yourself be a better person. That is actually a, a spiritual quest. And so we begin to add all of these things. And what we end up with is just this mishmash of a little Jesus hugging a tree and worshiping the wind. And you laugh, but it's, it's true. And we make God to be something that he never, he never intended himself to be worshipped as. Um... Jesus creates a certain order, ebb and flow to things. Okay, so, so everything we see in creation here, he's created it and there's, there's rules and there's laws. And, and, and creation has to follow those rules and laws. And we could try to break them, but usually it doesn't go well. I mean, look at this cold snap. Um, if I told my son, hey, Ethan, I want you to go to school today. I want you to stick your tongue right on the flagpole. Something is going to happen. Nature is going to follow a certain rule or law. If I said to you, when you go home, take a fork, bend it, unplug the light, and stick the fork in the light socket. It doesn't matter what you believe. The, law of, the laws that govern electricity that Christ has created, they are going to come to fruition. And we are either going to be doing your funeral, or you're going to be punching me in the nose... In the name of Jesus, of course, because you're very spiritual. 
And so there are certain laws that, that Christ has set up that, that nature, that creation has to follow. And it's the same in the spiritual realm. He creates these rules, these laws that, that have to play by his rule because he has created it. Because in him and through him and for him, all things have been created. And so even the spiritual realm obeys the way he has set it up. And so we, we don't get to just throw all kinds of stuff together and call it, this is what I believe. Well, you know, I don't really go to church. I don't read the Bible. I have my own beliefs about God. That is dangerous. And if somebody ever says that to you, be gentle, put your arm around them and go, no, see, that's dumb. Because that's going to get you in trouble. We don't get to pick and choose our spirituality and be Christ-centered. We worship God through Jesus and Jesus alone. We worship God through Jesus and Jesus alone. And in this spiritual realm, there are, there are thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, and they obey him. You see, Jesus is above all, and Jesus is our all. And we don't have to add anything to it. We can't add anything to it. We're just taking away from the free gift that he has given us. And so, if we think on this, and if, we, and if you believe that to be true, And I really hope that you believe that to be true. I believe it with all my heart that that is truth. Then this is very important. This is very important for us to understand, to get a hold of, and begin to walk in. This needs to be the most important thing in your life. You see, too many many of us just... We just waffle through our faith. We just kind of oblivious to faith and to Christ. And, and yet, you know, you, you, yeah, okay, you come to church and every once in a while you hit the occasional Bible study. Awesome. And you're fluent in Christianese. I give you props for that. But there's no real pressed in pursuit of God through Jesus Christ as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. Too many of us have not made this the number one priority in our life. And we've created this faith of convenience. I don't know the other way to to, to speak it. Our faith becomes convenient. You know, and and we have this this thought like, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. You know, as long as I'm not breaking any laws, as long as I'm not rolling through any stop signs. Sorry. You're welcome. As long as I'm not hurting anyone. But you see, you know what? You may not be hurting someone in the physical, but you can be shattering someone emotionally and spiritually, and you may never know it. I've spoken with many, many young people, and I find this over in Europe so often. My girlfriend and I, we love each other. And isn't God all about love? And we love each other. And so 
And so there is no boundary in our sexual relationship. It doesn't matter if we're married or not. We love each other. And they begin to compromise the word of God. They begin to compromise what what God has poured out because they've made something other than the pursuit of Christ the most important thing. Now, you got to hear me on this. I I need to be very clear with you. What I'm not saying here is you, you need to get rid of that. You need to stop that. You need to repent from that. You need to stop sinning in that way and get yourself cleaned up. What I am telling you is that the pursuit of Jesus needs to be first and foremost in your life. It has to be the most important thing. It has to be the most important thing. Before anything else, before trying to do away with that sin, pursue Christ. Before trying to fix your marriage, pursue Christ. Before trying to be a better person, pursue Christ. Because here's the reality. You can't fix yourself. You can't fix that thing. You can't make yourself a better person. You can't just stop sinning. All we can do is band-aid that together and hope for the best. Hope we don't bleed out and we die and finally we'll get to heaven. That's not what Christ wants for us. He doesn't want us to just survive this world. He wants us to thrive in it for his glory, for the good of the kingdom. And so you can't just fix it. But here's what you can do. You pursue Christ with everything that you got. You make him the most important thing in your life. And you go after him. And you go after him hard. And I guarantee you, if you run hard after Christ, and you're committed to running hard after him, the pursuit of Jesus, man, those, those things that you've been wrestling with, those just will eventually go away. Because it's Christ who will fix them, and not you. Shut off Oprah and read the Bible. Turn off Ellen and pray. Get rid of the self-help book and read the revelation of God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it will make all the difference in your life. You can't fix yourself. Sin has broken us. You're not the Savior. We have a Savior. We have a Redeemer who gave Himself, spilled His blood on the cross so that we can know wholeness. Everything that we see has been made in Him and through Him and for Him. And so what makes us think we can fix anything but Christ in us transforms Everything. God, I want to thank you that you have given us Jesus. That that everything submits to his authority. That one day every knee shall bow. 
every tongue will profess Jesus as Lord. Lord, thank you that even, even the demons shudder at that truth. Thank you for that power and that majesty and that authority. Thank you that you haven't given it to us, but you keep it. And that one day, one day when we look at you in their face, in the face, and we see Christ, we'll understand just a little bit more how much you've loved us through our hard time, how much you loved us through our brokenness, how much you loved us that you've created all of this, how much it's broken your heart that we have messed it up, not in anger, but just because we, that you have so much more for us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the heart to pray the heart to pray your heart, to see with your eyes, to see sacredness everywhere, and to live in the pursuit of Christ every day. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.